Hello, Milwaukee Bucks fans. Welcome to the Bucks and Six podcast. My name is Stephen Dorf, and alongside me is my co-host, Hershey Winkleman. Check us out on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at Bucks and Six FFSN, as well as Facebook at Milwaukee Bucks FFSN. Hirsch, uh, in recent news, we saw that Chris Middleton underwent a uh, right knee surgery uh, successfully uh, and is expected to be ready for basketball activities in July, according to Shams. What are your thoughts on the Bucks clearly looking to re-sign Chris Middleton as a part of their long term, being that he was at the meeting with Giannis when they uh, decided to hire Adrian Griffin? And considering that Chris Middleton has also been dealing with uh, multiple injuries for the past couple seasons now. Yeah, you know, I don't really have a problem with them, uh, you know, involving Chris in their decisions. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that him and Giannis have a really good uh, relationship, considering that, you know, they kind of have grown up together and through their NBA careers and been together a long time. Uh, they've kind of been like the dynamic duo in Milwaukee. So I understand Giannis wanting to keep his uh, one of his best friends around. But yeah, I do think that the injury, you know, it is concerning. I'm hoping that, you know, it fixes up some of his lateral quickness issues that we saw in the playoffs with him, you know, getting beat off the dribble, not being able to play defense uh, the way that we, you know, know that Chris Middleton can. Um, but that also just may be because of age. Uh, we know Chris is getting up there. I'm just hoping that, you know, we're not going to pay him like a full max. I hope he takes like a little bit of a pay cut. He's paid anywhere between 25 and 30 million. I think that would be perfect because that would save us a little bit of money uh, to sign a guy like Brooke Lopez back without going into the second apron with a new uh, collective bargaining agreement. But yeah, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, th- I think it's a good thing, honestly. Like, if they want to keep Chris and this is the route they want to go, I'm all for it. I think that we just need to like get younger in other ways. And like you said, taking a pay cut will allow us to do that. First off, it'll allow us to re-sign Brooke Lopez, keep the uh, core four guys intact, and then hopefully give us a little extra spending money so we don't have to only sign guys to veteran minimums, you know? Uh, I, I like it. I think that it's also a good thing that he's involved in the coaching process if they are planning on keeping him in the long term because he has been our number two for years. I know last year Drew Holiday took on that, you know, second option role, but I think now that Chris is going to be back for a full offseason and, you know, getting back to his game, I think he'll retake that number two uh, role. I think it's exciting stuff. Uh, I think it's all about what the Bucks do with the role players, though, at this point. I mean, I think they've obviously made it their intention that they want to keep what they have, but there, there definitely do need to be uh, some tweaks made to the uh, other nine guys on the roster. Definitely. I, I agree with you. Um, and moving on from the Chris stuff, uh, you, you mentioned kind of the, the role players. A lot of people are talking about Marjan Beauchamp, you know, going to Greece to, you know, practice with Giannis. Um, a lot of people look at Marjan Beauchamp as kind of like the only really good potential young piece the Bucks have on this roster. Um. And, you know, a long wing who's shown flashes throughout the year when he got playing time under Budenholzer. Um, obviously, you know, we all hope that with an under a new coach, he'll see some more some more minutes. But what are your kind of thoughts on him? You know, he 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 likened his his uh 
his style to like Jimmy Butler. And he said he wanted to like, you know, work kind of like how Jimmy Butler worked to like, you know, develop and, and grow. What are your kind of thoughts on, you know, Marjan Bochamp's development as a whole and how the, how the situations kind of played out? Yeah, obviously we didn't get to see too much of Marjan Bochamp uh, in his rookie season. Uh, Bud's, you know, known for liking to play his older guys, his trust, uh, his guys that he has trust in. Marjan did not have the opportunity to build trust in that first year for one reason or another. But I think that him and Giannis working together, uh, you know, privately is really, really big. It's a really, really good thing for the Bucs. I think it shows that Giannis has faith in the guy. If he's willing to take him out to his home country and work out with him uh, and Marjan saying that he wants to be the best version of himself. I mean, that's always a guy that's always going to be a good thing. Actions speak louder than words. So only time will tell how much he truly means that. But I'm definitely ex- uh, excited for Marjan Bochamp going into the next season. I think that he can be a crucial piece for us. I think he could be a starter. I think he could come off the bench and be effective. But I think there is worlds uh, worlds of potential with Marjan Bochamp. Yeah, I agree. I think he has a lot of potential. I want I want to hear your thoughts, kind of on how you think Adrian Griffin's you know being hired will affect how Marjan Bochamp you know plays this year, or or do you think that you know Adrian Griffin will give him more time? Yeah, no, I think that Adrian Griffin is actually a good thing for Marjan. Uh, Adrian Griffin, obviously, as we all know, played in the NBA. He was a wing back when he played, which is the exact position that Marjan Bochamp plays. So that's obviously going to most likely play an an impactful role on his development. Adrian Griffin's also a younger rookie head coach. So he kind of knows what it's like to be new, the new guy on the block and have to earn your your role. So I think that that's also going to be a big thing with Marjan where Adrian Griffin's going to, you know, let him play through the, the growing pains. Whereas if he made a mistake with with Bud, Marjan might get subbed out because the Bucs were trying to, you know, win every single game they could in the regular season. I think with Adrian Griffin, he's going to hopefully deal with the growing pains, as I said, in the regular season so that ultimately in the playoffs, we are a better team. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And you even see it. I mean, we're going to touch on this a lot more later on in the pod, but you even saw it, see it with guys like Christian Brown on the Nuggets who, you know, didn't get like a, he, I mean, he got a solid amount of playing time throughout the year coming off the bench. And now he's in the finals, you know, putting up good games as a rookie. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the role that Marjan could play a little bit for the box with maybe even more impact. Yeah, absolutely. Christian Brown is, I mean, he went to Kansas. I saw him win us a national championship. I know what the guy is capable of. He hustles his he hustles his butt off. I mean, he plays super, super hard, harder than most guys do on the court. That was very evident in game three. Uh I, I yeah, I mean, we just need an aggressive, an aggressive young guy. A, a couple of them wouldn't hurt off the bench in the starting lineup that will just give us that energy we need in the playoffs. When the Heat are going on a 10 0 run on us, someone can just go in, get us a basket, or get us a really uh, you know electric defensive stop, something like that. That's what a Marjan Bochamp, a Christian Brown can do for your team. Definitely. I do agree. We need to get younger. Um, I've, I've been seeing a lot on social media, you know, talks about uh, Damian Lillard possibly being moved to the East. And we know in the, in the past that uh, he has said publicly that, you know, he, 
he wants to play with Giannis, but he also mentioned the Nets and the Heat as possible destinations. Um, and then Chris Paul as well being rumored to go to the Bucks after uh, a strange waving by the Suns where they're kind of angling to get him back, even though they kind of already waved him. Um, what are your thoughts on these two, like aging point guards? Would Do you want either of them? Is one? Would you prefer one over the other? What are your thoughts on these guys kind of both being linked to Milwaukee here? Uh, yeah, I mean, the short answer for do I want either of these point guards is no, I really don't. Uh, let me explain. So Chris Paul, start with him. He's, what, 39, 38 years old. He's just, he's a, I don't want to say that he's a shell of his former self, but, like, he really is. Like, he's just not the defensive player that he once was. He's, he can't shoot like he used to shoot. And he gets hurt a lot. So, again, adding an old vet to the oldest team in the NBA puts us nowhere. It doesn't help what we need. It takes away opportunities from a guy like Javon Carter, who is that perfect age to help us win basketball right now, alongside the four veterans that we already have as our best four players. Uh, let's talk about Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is an exceptional basketball player. He's really, 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 really good. However, there's no world where I see the Blazers taking a trade with us that would make sense for either team, right? Like, what are we going to do, a Drew Holiday deal? Like, why would the Blazers do that, right? The Chris Middleton deal, again, why would the Blazers do that? And then you, everything else, the contracts don't really work out. And then we don't have draft. We we literally don't have tradable draft picks to give the Blazers for it to make sense for them. Like, it, I just don't see like at all how this is a realistic like option for the Bucks with Damian Lillard. Yeah. The only way I could really see it working out is either a third team gets involved or Dame specifically says like he wants to force his way to Milwaukee, which would be odd, but yeah, I mean, we know how loyal Dame is. He clearly cares about Portland, about the Blazers organization. I think he wants what's best for them. And I don't think that he would put them in a situation where they are forced to trade him to Milwaukee and basically get ransacked. Yeah, and no, I mean, he he did mention the Nets and the Heat as well. Um, between those two teams, kind of what what are what are your thoughts on where Dame might end up if if he is traded this offseason? And 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 also, do you think that the Blazers should trade him? Yeah, oh, uh, I totally think the Blazers should trade him. If there was ever a time to trade a guy like Damian Lillard, it's now because in this draft class, the top three guys could have been number one overall draft picks in almost any other draft, right? Victor Wembanyama is just that great of a prospect that Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller are the number two and number three prospects. So they're going to get a really, really, really good prospect at three if they don't trade it, which I think they should keep it and trade Damian Lillard, get a, a young guy or another draft pick to, you know, build around this young core with shade on sharp and Fernie Simons. Uh, they have uh, again, the third pick, I think that the Blazers, yeah, Jeremy Grant, yeah, they got they. I think this is the time for them to officially move on from Dame, and I like you said, I think the Heat would be a good spot. I know we the Heat and the Nets were the two uh, destinations that he said that he wanted to go to. I think the Heat could work something out. Obviously, the Nets could too. However, I just think it makes more sense for Damian Lillard if he wants to win to go to the Heat. What do you think a trade to the Heat would look like? Because I, I could imagine I could imagine 
it's either Tyler Hero or Bam. And I think if the Heat are choosing, they'd rather give up Hero considering that they just made the finals without him. Yeah, it'd probably be some sort of Tyler Hero and draft picks type of trade. Maybe something else to throw in there to even out the contracts. But yeah, something like that, I would assume. Nothing too crazy where it's like six guys for six guys or a three-team trade. I think they can make something work. Yeah, definitely. And I know you touched on Chris Paul a little bit on, you know, why you don't really want him to land with the Bucs. Um, you know, they've they've rumored the Celtics. They've rumored back to the Suns. They've obviously the Lakers were in the rumors for, you know, landing spots for Chris Paul. Um, at this point, does it even matter where Chris Paul goes? Is he is he an impactful player at this point in the NBA or can you just bank on him to get hurt? No, I yeah, I think he's absolutely uh, an impactful player. I think he can impact winning basketball, championship basketball. I just don't think he can do that with the Bucs right now. So we have a point guard who's already in his 30s. We have a solid backup point guard in Javon Carter. I don't know what the deal is with him in free agency where he's going to want to go in the offseason and all that, but we have him at the moment. So I don't think it really makes sense. I don't see a place where Chris Paul can you know, play that pivotal, pivotal of a role for us. Whereas he, you know, could do that on the Lakers or if he went back to the Suns on a cheaper deal, something like that, maybe. But yes, I totally think he can impact winning basketball still. Just not as a number two, number three option like he used to be. Yeah, I agree. He's, uh, you kind of said it earlier. I mean, he's dropped down to, I think, like 14 and eight, which I think is still good stats. But I mean, he's just so injury prone. Seems like every year in the playoffs, he can't stay healthy. And it seems like his coaches, for some reason, always tend to play him a lot of minutes throughout the year, and then he isn't healthy for the playoffs. But uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back, talk about the NBA Finals. Um, We've got Game 4 coming up. Uh, Nuggets have a 2-1 advantage. Welcome back to the Bucks and Six podcast. My name is Steven Dorff. That's Hershey Winkleman. We're talking some NBA finals here. The Denver Nuggets take a two to one advantage over the Miami Heat in game three. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray drop a triple double, I believe, the first time in NBA history where two players on the same team have dropped a triple double in the finals. Hirsch, are the Heat in a lot of trouble or do you think they can get out of this? Only being down two one. Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's been an, a very entertaining series so far. Um, after that heat game two win, I know a lot of people were, you know, talking about, are the nuggets in trouble? You know, could the heat possibly go up three, one heading back to Denver for a game five, but you know, Denver, Denver took back, uh, home court. You know, they looked pretty dominant. The heat, I think only cut it to like 14 going into the fourth quarter. So they, I mean, the Denver had control basically the whole game, um, I am waiting for that, you know, big Jimmy Butler explosion, though. I, I do feel like that is going to come at least once in this series. And, you know, he's had a pretty, I mean, he's like been scoring, but, you know, he's hasn't had like the kind of series that everyone was expecting him to have. Um, so, I mean, I definitely can see Jimmy Butler kind of winning them a game or two here down the stretch and maybe making it a lot closer than people thought for sure. Absolutely. I'm honestly really excited to see what chess move Eric Spolstra makes next, right? I mean, we saw in game two, he had uh, used a zone to essentially beat the Nuggets. And in game three, the Nuggets were kind of able to, you know, figure it out and bounce back, make the adjustments, 
to win that game. So now in game four, I want to see what Spo does to try and evil or even the uh, playing field again. I think that Eric Spolstra is capable of a lot of things as a coach. You pair him with a guy like Jimmy Butler. We've been saying this all playoffs. It makes for a really nasty combination. And you pair a Jimmy Butler com- uh, Jimmy Butler explosion game combined with Eric Spolstra, an Eric Spolstra masterclass to win in combination. I think the Heat are absolutely still alive in this series. 100%. I think the, the Nuggets are like clearly more talented of a team. Like there's just no arguing that. But something about the Heat's just pure willpower. Like in game three, they were down in the fourth quarter. Like they were they were out of the game. But they don't quit. Like they were down like 20, 18, 17, but they kept getting buckets and kept coming back, creeping back to the point where it was like a 10-point game and they had what was it like Jeff Green like freaking out on the sidelines, telling them to calm down, like like this and that. The Heat won't give up. And I think just based off of like sheer willpower, they're gonna win another game, at least. Definitely. I agree. I mean, I, I definitely think the Heat are fully still alive. And when, you know, the Nuggets need their top two guys to have like 30 point triple doubles to win. I, I just don't like know if that's necessarily a consistent winning strategy for them, at least. I mean, you can't really bank on Jamal Murray to give you triple doubles. He's never really been that kind of player. Obviously, Jokic can give you, you know, those nuts, triple doubles, those unreal games. But you know, we've seen in the past when Jokic is is relegated to more of a scorer and not not a passer, and when the Heat are able to take away the shots from the other guys, make Michael Porter Jr., Bruce Brown, KCP, Aaron Gordon play, all play bad at the same time, and and let Jokic just like dominate them in the paint, the Nuggets end up losing those games. I mean, we even saw him drop fifty one against the Suns in round two and, and in a loss. It's like it it. it Jokic in their losses, I believe, is averaging like 40 points a game. And in their wins, he's averaging like 27 on like 11 assists. Absolutely. He's at his best when he's playing the role of of a facilitator. And then Jamal Murray is kind of their like killer guard where he'll get you the 30 points to, you know, close out the game. Uh, With with Jamal Murray, though, I mean, he is a lot better, like a lot better than people ever gave him credit. Like it's, I mean, I know people have been on that wave now for a little bit, you know, especially after that Lakers series, people were really, really impressed, but I mean, man, this guy is just good. He's just, I mean, he like might be a top like five point guard in the NBA, top three point guard at this point in the NBA with how damn well he's playing. Yeah. I mean, currently probably, but I, I definitely think that, you know, he'll be an all-star next season. I think he's taken that next step for sure. Um, I think he needs to be looked at in that group of, you know, elite guards and that group of, you know, Shea Gilgis, um, Alexander, guys like that, Trey Young, guys in the, of that nature. Just, you know, he he at this point, he's a star. He he he's transcended into another level of of NBA stardom. And it's because of this playoff run and his bubble playoff run when, you know, he gained a lot of notoriety about, you know, how he was dropped, how he was dueling Donovan Mitchell. In the playoffs, they're both dropping like 50 in the bubble. And now he's coming into this playoffs. It just shows that, you know, the Nuggets maybe could have done some real damage with both Porter Jr. and Murray if they weren't hurt the last two years. Mm -hmm. And the scariest part is this team is still super young. I mean, Jokic is 28, uh, Murray's 27, Gordon 27, Porter 23, 24. I mean, it's a young team. 
And I mean, uh, tying this all back into the box, I think it's exactly the type of team model that leads to winning. Even look at the Heat. Their their best player, Jimmy Butler, is a veteran, and then their next best guys are all in their mid twenties. They're they're in their most uh they're in their physical peak, right? Their athletic peak, and that's what that's what leads to winning these days. Definitely, I mean, you see old I mean older teams, even like the Lakers, who made it to the conference finals, but they had an older team. I mean, they they definitely got younger at the deadline, but guys like LeBron. I mean, it, it just, it's just tough. Like having like older guys down the stretch, guys like Chris Paul, they just like, they get hurt. They deteriorate. Kawhi Leonard didn't play. Paul George wasn't available. You just see it a lot. So yeah, I agree that having younger guys, the guys that are between like 25 and 30, just able to go out there give it their all every night. They're available. They have a lot of stamina, a lot of energy. I think that, I think that is, you know, the winning recipe at this point. I think it's kind of moving away from, you know, Let's get three stars and a bunch of minimum contracts and see if we can win a championship. Absolutely. There's just too much talent around the league to do that now. Right. I mean, you look at like, you know, in the past we've done, we've seen the big threes before, and then you surround them with a bunch of men. Some have worked and some haven't worked. And the ones that haven't worked, we tend to forget about. Right. But more often than not, like guys nowadays, there, there are, there are too many good players to do that with. So you can sign your best three players and then a bunch of, you know, the bottom end guys in the league, but then there's just going to be a team that has like five or six guys that are really, really solid. I mean, you look at the Celtics, right? I think even if they do lose uh, Jalen Brown in free agency, and let's just say they replace him with like nothing, that team will still be totally fine. They'll still be a top three, top four seed, top four seed in the East because of how much just overall talent they have. Do you have the same opinion on if Harden leaves the Sixers? That if the, do I think the Sixers would still be really good? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they were really good before they had Harden. I don't think they'd be like the like one seed good, like they once were or anything like that. But I still think that again, they're a, a playoff caliber team, top four seed in the East. Joel Embiid is like the second best center in the NBA. Still like there's no denying that. I understand he, didn't perform up to standards in the playoffs, gets hurt. But Embiid is a really, really good basketball player. And the Sixers still have Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris. Those are effective basketball players. I really think Tyrese Maxey is going to be a good player if he gets the opportunity to shine. I think the East is in good hands. I think that it's still the top dog in the end, like, you know, I remember like going into these playoffs, everyone was like, oh, the West stands no chance. It's going to be one of the Celtics, Sixers or Bucks. Everyone's laughing now because none of those teams are in the playoffs anymore. Didn't even make it to the finals. But I, I still think that the East reigns supreme. I think that when it's all set, like when, when everyone's healthy, everything's going to be back to normal next year. It'll we'll have another uh, another dominant Eastern Conference here. Teams like the Cavs will be getting better. The Knicks aren't going to get worse. Definitely. Um, the West has uh, the West for sure has the Denver Nuggets. That team is going to be they're there to stay. That that's for sure. But outside of that, there's a lot of question marks in the West. So we might be seeing Denver make some pretty deep playoff runs, honestly, for the next few years. Definitely, there are a lot of questions in the West, especially with what's going on with you know John Morant. Uh, that Lakers team getting older and not wanting to re-sign Anthony Davis. And then you have a lot of, you know, you have the Suns with basically Aiton, Booker, and Durant, kind of like how we were talking about, and then basically nothing else. 
they've done they've gone kind of like the super team route where they pay three max contracts and then they have no money for the rest of their team. Um, you know, the Clippers, they have serious questions with Kawhi and Paul George. And then you got a, a lot of young teams, you know, like the Kings who, you know, broke out this season but failed to get past the Warriors. Uh, the Warriors, you know, they're getting older. They got questions about Draymond. Then you got young, like up-and-coming, like bad teams like the Rockets and the Thunder, who, you know, possibly could, you know, make a make a big play for either a player or just have like a massive development and get a lot better in one of these seasons. Um, but tying it back to, you know, the finals here, do you think that, do you have any problem with people saying that, you know, Jokic is the clear-cut best player in the world if he wins this title? I've been so back back and forth, like, on that topic, like, with myself personally. Like, I keep saying Jokic is the best one day, and then I'm like, ah, you know what, I need to, like, hold my, like, horses, whatever, slow down. Jokic, here's kind of where I'm at. I just think it's like I'm going to make like a almost like a football comparison right here with like, so I'm the the two, let's just talk about these two wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. Everyone's very familiar with these guys. It's like a 1A, 1B type of concept. I think it's very similar now in the NBA, except there's three guys where it's going to be a 1A, 1B, 1C. And then there's the Jokic, Giannis, and Bede, however you want to order that. They all do great things, but they do they do them differently, right? Jokic is a facilitator, and he's a post player. Giannis is not that. I mean, he can facilitate, but Giannis is a off ball defensive freak. He is one of the best, like heads like going head down to the basket guys in the league, and one of the and the best transition player in the NBA. And Bede is just like an overall dominant big who can basically do everything that you could ask for in the center. That's like, it's just, it's pick your poison, right? So right now, Jokic is going on a phenomenal run. He has a great team supporting him. And you could definitely make the argument that Jokic is the best player in the NBA. Would it be a little bit of a recency bias? Probably because people weren't saying that last year. People, not too many people were even really saying that like throughout the regular season. Yes, Jokic has had his his, uh, supporters, but I think it's more of like a unanimous top three than a unanimous top one. Yeah, I think you made a great point about the recency bias. Um, I think, you know, the last time we saw Giannis play, he looked, you know, discombobulated. He didn't want to shoot. He was missing a lot of free throws. And so that's kind of like the last impression we have of him. But we that's we know he's way better than that. I mean, dropping 50 in the finals, going 17 of 19 to close out a finals and win the Larry O'Brien is pretty incredible and we have not seen Jokic do anything like that yet so until until Jokic has that ring I I I don't think there is a conversation to be had um and I'm not gonna dethrone Giannis just because Jokic made it to the finals he's got to win and also and it also doesn't make sense because if Giannis lost to Jimmy Butler why would we crown Jokic if he also lost to Jimmy Butler that is a very good point. And I also want to mention, so I was on Twitter. I was I was just like, uh, you know, just going through Twitter or whatever. And I saw like a Nathan Marzion tweet. And he basically had like taken a clip from a Bill Simmons podcast. Where someone on the show said something along the lines of like, Jokic is the only one who can like, like they don't see like Giannis having these types of games. It was right after the Jokic 30-20-10 game. And some, I think it might have been Jacoby who was like, 
I don't see guys like Giannis having these types of performances. Then Nathan Marzian like like edits the tweet or puts a tweet out and he's like just listing Giannis games where they were like freakish video game like numbers. So I think that's kind of where people are starting to forget about Giannis a little bit. He did lose in the first round. He missed a couple of the games. People can't forget that he played 11 total minutes in the first three games of that series. So can't forget about that. But I do think people forget about Giannis. They clearly are going to forget about Embiid. It's still a one, one, a one B one C Jokic right now, just based off of how well he's played in the playoffs, you probably have to give him that slight edge at the moment, but it's not like this clear, like heads and shoulders above Giannis or Embiid type of thing. Absolutely not. Definitely. Um, that'll be it for today's episode. Make sure to leave a like download, subscribe and follow us on social media on both Instagram and Twitter at boxing six FFSN. And on Facebook at Milwaukee Bucks FFSN. I'm Hershey Winkleman, and he's Steven Dorf. Let's go, Bucks!